Hi, my name is Zach and I'm part of the staff team here at Central and for the next 20 minutes or so we're going to take some time to continue our sermon series looking at the book of Hebrews. And what we'll discover week after week through this term is that in amongst the intricate detail of this letter there's a very simple and clear message being written both to the Christians in Jerusalem at the time and also to us as modern readers following Jesus. And this is the message. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't give up. Don't lose your way amongst times of trial and hardship, but trust in God. This week we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 3, and the writer is continuing to build the argument that he has been the last two weeks, and actually will continue to for the next six chapters as well. And in, in summary, it is this. Pursue Jesus. Don't uh, underestimate him. He is greater than anything that you've experienced before. And so in amongst the complexity of this context, the, the specific message in this chapter builds on that, and it's essentially this. Whatever we direct our attention towards is the place we put our trust. Wherever we direct our attention is the place we put our trust. And so we're talking about perspective. What is it we're looking at? And there are four points, I think, which we'll draw out as we read this passage. So you might want to write these four things down just so you can follow with me. The first is, we are part of the family of God. The second is a question, what are we living for? Third, is our vision of Jesus big enough? And fourth, how can we keep perspective? So let's get straight into the passage and figure out how those four things come through as we read it together. We're in Hebrews chapter 3, reading from verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope which we glory. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation, I said. Their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declare an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to your brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion. So there's a lot going on here, isn't there? From Moses and how he compares to Jesus, through to some kind of building analogies, and then there's the story of, Jesus, of the Israelites' journey in the desert. <clears throat> and so I want to look at what is the common thread that we can pull out which ties all of it together. I think we need to start in verse 1, at the start. <laughs> and I think we need to keep what verse 1 says at the focus of our attention as we read through the rest. So let's read it again quickly. It says this, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, 
fix your thoughts on Jesus. Therefore, so in light of what we've heard of salvation in Jesus, of the fact he became human, suffered, died and rose again for us, the writer wants then to remind us of who we are and whose we are, before we get into anything that might be causing us to get distracted. So who are we? We are holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling. In other words, we are part of the family of God. We are sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters of one family, known, loved, chosen, grafted into a history that dates back generation upon generation for thousands of years, right back to creation. And in fact, this is the only family which has no beginning and end because it finds its origins in God. There is no better family we could possibly be invited into. This family is more creative than Google. It's more powerful than Kings. It's more diverse than any culture and encompasses all cultures. It's more transformative than the world's leading social action movements. And it cares more about creation than conservationists. You get the point, right? This is a family you want to be part of. And second half, we have a heavenly calling. We don't just get to be children in name, but also in what we carry. We get to join in the family business restoring, renewing, resurrecting kingdom work. And we get to be part of inviting, directing people towards the saving work of God amongst us. And then finally, what this verse tells us is that right at the centre, at the heart of this family, we're part of and invited to join in with is Jesus. He is the one we're pursuing, the one who calls us and in whom we belong. So why am I going after this one point at the very start? Because then the rest of this chapter plays out what happens if we forget this truth. And it challenges us with three questions to, to essentially ask us whether we know this to be true in our own lives. And so it's asking us, no matter what we're facing, do you know that you are holy brothers and sisters with a heavenly calling? Fix your attention on Jesus and he'll reveal that to you. And so it's a strong verse one, isn't it? And then suddenly we move from that into kind of a wading into conversations about Moses and building analogies. So what's going on? I think the writer is asking the question, what are we living for? And we know from previous weeks that the Christians in Jerusalem are tired and even maybe considering giving up on the way they first discovered in Jesus and turning back maybe to some things that were familiar to them before. They're looking back at their old lives and they're saying, was kind of rose-tinted glasses. Wasn't it much easier back then? Wasn't it maybe better back then? But what the Hebrew writer wants to do, and he does it quite masterfully really, is to actually reveal some of the flaws in that way of thinking, in that argument. And so far he's dealt with angels and the fact that Jesus is greater than angels. And now he tackles Moses. So we need to get into the mindset of the Jews to understand why that's an important step to make. Why tackle Moses? So the Israelites, in their history, tied themselves closely to the richness of God working in their history. God, for them, isn't a distant idol or an unknown entity, but he is the one Yahweh who ties himself to his people. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and God is the God of Moses. In fact, it was a clear marker of a leader of God's people to be called that person after whom God belongs. God is the God of Moses. So Moses carries 
that kind of weight. And actually, he even carries more significant weight because he is remembered as the one who brings the law, who makes known to God's people what is pleasing in God's sight. So in some ways, he's kind of like the trump card in Judaism top trumps. If you can get Moses on your side, then you're bound to win the argument. And actually, N.T. Wright talks about this. He writes to this point. The law to traditional Jews was absolute and binding to God's people for all time. It was unalterable, inflexible, unchanging, uncompromising. And so the writer kind of has quite a hard task ahead of him. He doesn't want to undermine the importance of Moses or do away with the law completely, but he also wants to set out that Jesus is greater and requires our full attention. And so this is where he starts talking about builders and buildings. And I, I want to maybe give us a bit more of a modern, it'll be more flawed analogy of, uh, to help us understand what's going on here in the next uh, six verses. So I'm going to introduce you to my lovely guitar. <laughs> and maybe you're maybe hoping that my little boy is going to be on the screen there, but no, my guitar. Uh, when I turned 30 last year, Lindsay, my wife, uh, very kindly let me travel to Northern Ireland and visit my favourite guitar company at their warehouse and actually commissioned them to build a guitar for me from scratch. So I got to choose every piece of wood from the back, sides, front, the finishes around the edges and the kind of detail on the sides. And each detail that I chose would contribute to the final sound uh, that came out. So it was actually quite a nerve-wracking process because if I chose one wrong piece of wood, then that was me stuck with the guitar at the end that had that weird sound or weird look. Thankfully, about three months later, once they designed it and sent it to me, um, it arrived and I was not disappointed in it at all. It is a lovely guitar. So I'd say so much so that I kind of hoped that it would become a family heirloom, if I can keep it in good condition and not break it. And I hope that it would get passed down generations. Um, now, so imagine with me that, that has happened. And um, my great-great-grandkids uh, have got this guitar at the stage where they're old enough to look after it well. And these, uh, these generations down from me, they take this guitar out, they look after it really well, and they'll take it out and tell stories about their great-great-granddad who played this guitar during COVID-19 on the YouTube that they've heard about in history lessons. So they, they know the story well, they tell it over and over. And they're determined to keep the guitar in good condition. But imagine that they're so careful to keep it in good condition that they never actually play it. Instead, it just sits in its case. It still looks good and they care for it meticulously, but they never hear how it sounds. Now, of course, there's something good about the intention behind that, isn't there? They want to try and preserve it. But they're missing out on the creative purpose behind the guitar being made. It was made to be played and heard and enjoyed. There was a future intention behind this design and creation, which has been kind of lost in the history of it being passed down. I mean, of course they ought to look after it, but primarily they should enjoy it and use it as it was intended to be used. So that's kind of what's going on here. The law of Moses and the way of life, which was given to the Israelite people from Moses, were designed to set them apart. But the distinctive is that it was supposed to set them apart for something. Law wasn't in and of itself the end goal, nor was the most important thing the fact that it was given by Moses. It was to direct them towards a future reality where structures would give way to relationship with God. Moses was, as we read in verse 5, through the law bearing witness to future that was as yet unseen. Or in other words, he was pointing towards a future and present reality of the working of God. 
He was encouraging the Israelites to live for that reality, to live for that work of God that's coming up and is in front of them. And here's the key part that the writer wants to make here. All of that is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the one who gave the law at the start because he's fully God. And the law and this way of life all find its fulfillment in him, in a person, not in laws, not in structures, not in the past. He is the one who makes it possible for us to know God intimately. And so while Moses was doing an incredibly important job, that job was to point people towards Jesus. Do you see that? So now I bring the argument into the context of the letter, where the people are considering trying to turn towards Moses and away from Jesus. They're trying to direct their attention away from Jesus and put their trust in past structures rather than this new way of life that's being offered in Jesus. And the writer is kind of saying, you're missing the whole point of the law being given. It's supposed to lead us to Jesus. <laughs> you can't skip that part. You can't go back because it always directs us towards him. And so it's kind of like my great great grandkids never playing the guitar or hearing how it sounds. It just makes no sense. It just doesn't work as an argument. Are you still with me? I hope that a few of you nodded to a screen there. I, I want to just hit pause for a second in the argument. We'll continue back at the passage in a second. But I want to ask the question, have we lost that perspective in our own lives? Have we lost what it means to be part of the family of God, as I was talking about at the start? Do we order our days expecting to encounter God when we set habits up, when we read scripture, when we pray, when we, when we decide that our work and our lives are going to be for him, do we expect that we'll meet him? Or do we find ourselves doing more and more things which actually direct us away from him? Maybe in this moment we could invite God to breathe afresh on the daily rhythms in our lives. To invite him to speak into and reveal himself to us in each thing, each day. Because... That's the whole reason that we're following Jesus is because we want to see him, right? We want to know him. We want to grow closer to him. So let's just do that for a moment. Invite God to breathe afresh in you. Now, as we return to the passage, the writer then wants to take his argument even further. He's already started to disqualify the way that the Hebrew Christians are thinking. And he says... If you're really committed to this way of thinking and acting, if you're really committed to look back rather than look forward, then let me remind you of what happened to the people who were being led by Moses. And he's reading from verse 7 here. Verse 7 through 11. It summarizes a really well-known story in the Old Testament, which is told a number of times, particularly in the first five books of the Bible, although this is a psalm that's been quoted from here. The Israelites have seen time and time again in this point in history the incredible power and mercy of God. You see, they'd been enslaved in Egypt and they cried out to God and God heard their cries. And through Moses, he led them through the Red Sea out of slavery. And he led them by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day, which had been amazing to see. He miraculously provided for their every need. Food arrived every morning. And even when they got tired of eating that food, he brought more and new food. And yet... The Israelite people complained again and again and again. They grumbled as soon as they faced any new challenge. They constantly complained, even about being rescued from slavery. They'd say things like, at least in Egypt we had beds. 
Can you think of any more rose-tinted glasses looking back at a life of enslavement and, and the history that they had? Of course that was far worse than God in front of them there and then. But again and again and again, when things got tough, they turned their attention away from God and put it back to the way things were before. They didn't set their attention on the promises set out by God. They didn't set their attention in the presence of God amongst them or on the words which were a promise to provide for them and be their God. So they didn't believe that God was big enough to see them through what they're facing, even though he had provided for them over and over again. The result is that they never experienced the fullness of what God was offering them. In fact, a whole generation of the Israelite people never got to see the promised land that was being offered to them because of this. And the point the writer is making is the same point again, really, in a different way. The Hebrew Christians won't find their answers back in the time of Moses, because even the people Moses was leading missed the point. The point was that Moses was directing the Israelites towards God. Moses was directing people towards Jesus. So you see the common theme coming out here? The Hebrew Christians had lost sight of this truth. And in hard, tiring times, they began to question how big Jesus was. And I think they began to look for answers elsewhere. They let unbelief creep in. Maybe because they hadn't seen God acting the ways they were expecting there and then. And for them, it then felt easier to return to old ways that brought temporary comfort, rather than to stand firm and trust that God would meet their needs and see them through again. I think this is where it hits home for all of us. While the context for us is different, we are not turning back to look at Moses. The challenge remains as powerful for us in this time, doesn't it? Is our vision of Jesus big enough in this time? There are many of us, maybe if you're particularly honest at times, who might be looking around right now and thinking, is this worth it? Maybe we've been looking back at other times in our lives with rose-tinted glasses and saying, well, you know, if only I had this, I'd be in a better place with God and in myself. If only I was able to be back at church on Sundays, that would be the answer. And until then, I will look at other things instead. If only I wasn't limited by who I could see. If only I had the same job security or sense of purpose in my work that I had previously. Now, there are plenty of, there's plenty of room for us to bring those questions and lament before God. But the danger is that when we give more time and attention to the challenges we're facing than to the God who promises to carry us through them, then our perspective shifts. And we know this, isn't it? This isn't rocket science. But when our questions and the challenges that we're facing get in the way of our vision of God, rather than bringing us to him, our face shrinks our understanding and vision of Jesus blurs and unbelief begins to creep in. That's what this passage is warning about. Because when unbelief creeps in, it does something to your heart. It causes our hearts to turn away from God, to adopt destructive habits and patterns, to look elsewhere for answers and to stop trusting in God for our needs. And if as I'm sharing that, you know that you find yourself here, you, you maybe even feel a gentle conviction of the Holy Spirit, showing that you, that you have set your attention in lots of other things rather than on Jesus. 
that your perspective isn't big enough. You don't see God really coming through for you in these situations. Then we, we'd love to pray for you at the end over Zoom. Or maybe actually, if, if you're joined with other people in the same room right now, then have the courage to actually just say in this moment, yeah, actually, I quite like prayer for that. And then commit to pray for each other at the end. All of us need a bigger vision and picture of Jesus. But I know for some of us, we especially need that today. So just going to pause for a moment. And if that's you and you just need me to take a break in order for you to say it, use this next 10 seconds gap to say it to the people around you. I'd like prayer for that. As we come towards the end, I want to just reflect on one last point. It's the one last question that I said at the start. What positively then can we do to keep perspective? And actually, this passage makes it quite simple. Uh, although simple things are often the hardest to live out, aren't they? It says two things. We do it together and we do it today. We do it together and we do it today. That's how we keep perspective on Jesus in this time. First, we do it together. This is not the time to try and go it on your own. If you've been sitting on the edges of church and maybe even are considering stopping being a part of church in this time and just trying to do it on your own, then please, please stick with us. Recommit again to journey with us as a church and journey with others in your faith. Even if it has been a hard season, even if things have let you down and people have let you down. Join and commit to a community. That's why we talk about it every week because it's so important for keeping our perspective. And if you're part of one, then the passage encourages us to encourage one another daily, as often as you can in your journey of faith. You might hear about people around you who are making decisions to, to do away with church, but just follow Jesus. It's quite a culturally cool thing to say, isn't it? That I don't do church, but I do Jesus. But what this passage tells us is the only way we can really keep perspective on Jesus is if we do it together. I actually want to speak directly to you if you're a new or returning student uh, joining us today. It's so great to have you with us and you're so welcome at Central. Church might not look like it has before or your experience of it in the past. And I think it would never be easier for you to slip away or just to dip in and out of lots of different churches in this time. But I'd encourage you, take a little bit of time to find your feet and find your home as you've moved to Edinburgh. But don't take too long. Find a church family and get stuck in. We need each other to keep our focus on Jesus and to keep pursuing him. We'd love to help you do that if you're new at the end. So we do it together and last we do it today. Don't put off your relationship with God to another day. That's what this passage is saying. If you hear from God today, if you know that he's speaking to you, don't put off responding to another point when things are more convenient. Don't make grand plans that you can't keep. But today, this day and each day, choose again to set your attention on Jesus. We are wanting to help you as a church to build these kinds of rhythms in your day. That's why we created Rooted as a daily rhythm of reading and praying. It's not because we like sending you out emails. It's because we think and know it to be so important in helping keeping your perspective on Jesus. So let us, as I finish, commit afresh now in this moment to remind ourselves daily of the fact that we're part of this family of God and pursue Jesus with all that we have, 
Each and every day, let us set our attention on him. Let me pray for us now to finish. And Father, just as I've said, and I also pray, God, would you remind us again of the reality, what it means to be part of your family. Of, would you give us a bigger vision for your kingdom, what it looks like for your kingdom to come here on earth. And God, I pray that you would inspire us and refresh us in the dry places in our lives where we have lost sight of you, where our perspective has shifted, where we feel disappointed in ourselves, in our friends, in our church environment. God, would we be refreshed and reminded of the importance of together pursuing you. And today, I pray that you help each of us to commit afresh to follow you again, to commit and be motivated each day to spend time in your presence, hearing and learning from you and being led by you as we choose to follow you and be lights for you in this world. Amen.